Amen. Thank you, James. Uh, first off, if I can just ask you to do something for me, can you just look to your right and to your left and see all the kids that are here? Yeah, I know. It's sweet. It's fun. Give, give them a round of applause. You're, you're clapping for them because if I say something, okay, here we go. There it is. Sweet. If I say something that doesn't make sense this morning, you know who to blame. These kids right here who have kept me up uh, countless hours this week. It was the running joke with me and my wife. We have a uh, two and a half month old at home. So I was away from, from Sadie for the week and uh, obviously it was just so sad, but my wife was so sweet to send me photos. But you know, at that age, when they're, when they're two and a half, it feels like, like she's a new person when I come home. So so bummed to miss her. But our joke with me and my wife, Brittany was, who's getting more sleep? Brittany won every single night this last week. So, uh, so if I say something that doesn't make sense, uh, that's why. But we had an amazing time at camp. We really did. It was a ton of fun. Uh, only one person had to get stitches. So I think that's a big win for us. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, but we, if you're, if you're joining us here at the river, we've actually been in a sermon series. Uh, and this series has been engaging uh, with the spiritual disciplines. And this last one was uh, engaging with scripture. Uh, and the analogy that I've been using with the kids when I talk to them about spiritual disciplines and, and engaging with them is, is keeping up a relationship. These are the tools that we use to help us maintain and keep our relationship with Jesus strong. And I usually use uh, the metaphor of a marriage. We all know that we have regular, or at least we know that we should, <laughs> have regular patterns, rhythms in our, our marriages to keep them strong, to keep them healthy to keep them operating as they should, to keep our family as, as a priority and healthy and strong. So we might have date nights every week, or we might have that 15 minutes before we go to bed that's just the two of us, and we just get a talk and debrief of our days. And, and so this is kind of what these spiritual disciplines are, are our, our regular rhythms, our regular patterns, our regular habits of how we maintain our healthy relationship with Jesus. And one of the things that we can do, one of the things that we're talking about this morning and for this last month is engaging with the scriptures, the holy text. Because in this holy text, we see it's our, as Taylor said to kick us off, it's our delight. I mean, it's, it's this story, this grand narrative that reveals who Jesus is, as Bill shared. And we also realize, as Brooke shared last week, that this text convicts us, it changes us, it shapes us. This text and the way that we ground ourselves in it will change us forever and for the good. So what I want to do this morning, just briefly, is I want to, to read to you uh, the end little, little piece of the greatest sermon ever, ever taught by the greatest preacher who ever lived. This preacher, uh, you might know him. Uh, this preacher is the type of person that was funny. He was the type of person that, you know, when, you know, I mean, you know, funny speakers, when they get up on the mic, you know, you're in for a good time. You know that you're going to laugh, that you're going to enjoy what they say. But this preacher was also sincere, was authentic. You know, when there's those speakers who get up front and they're always like just trying to put on a show and you're like, dude, we get it. Like, just shut up and sit down. Okay. We want someone who's authentic and real. And this preacher is authentic. Just fully himself in front of a group of people who are trying to be fully themselves. And so this preacher, every single time that this preacher talked, 
if you're sitting in the audience, you felt like he was talking just to you. I mean, he was, he was so gifted. It was incredible. Every single time he talked, whatever he was talking about, you thought, oh man, I, I get that. He's saying something that's speaking directly to what's going on inside the deepest parts of my, myself, my heart, my life. Every time he spoke, this preacher would, would captivate an audience. I mean, crowds much larger than this would gather consistently to hear this preacher teach. Thousands of people would come. And he, he was just nothing less than incredible. This teacher was wise. He had the wisdom that felt like, man, like he, he knew exactly our life situation, telling us how to walk through it, how to, how to guide us through it. This preacher was, was everything. And the sermon that he preached, this sermon was the greatest sermon that this preacher ever preached. It was incredible. What this preacher was trying to do was trying to tell the people that he was teaching us, showing them how, how to live life best. If you want to live life well, this preacher outlined, this is what we have to do. This is how you live life fully. And every single one who hears the sermon then and the sermon now walks away with a better understanding of what life is really all about. This preacher, with every single person in the room, would preach this sermon, and every single person would walk away changed. Every time someone reads this sermon, they again walk away changed. The greatest preacher that ever lived, preaching the greatest sermon that's ever been taught. If you have your Bibles with you, would you open up to Matthew chapter 7? Of course, by now you might know that this is, of course, Jesus. And the sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. And what I want to read to you is the last words that Jesus had taught in this sermon. After teaching, it's, it takes about 30 minutes to, to teach this whole sermon. And you're probably thinking, oh goodness, I wish my pastors would only teach 30 minutes. So we have to learn from Jesus. But here it is, the last words from the greatest preacher that ever lived and the greatest sermon that was ever taught. He says, starting in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The greatest sermon from the greatest preacher ends with this. You have two options. You can listen to me, listen to Jesus, and put his words into practice and your life will have a firm foundation, or you cannot. You can choose to not listen, to not put his words on, into practice, and your foundation is like sand. Just like the sand that we're sitting on. The trials come, the winds, the rains, beating against the sides of the house, the roof. The streams are rising, and surely enough, your foundation will wash away. 
This is why we want to end this sermon series on scripture with this passage. This is the text that is before us because these are the options before us. We have two choices. We build our lives on the words of Jesus and the words of scripture, and we have a foundation upon which we can solidly live, or we cannot. And the foundation is unsteady and unstable. So what, what I'd like to do real quickly now is to present to you uh, a case of why I think that the other options, the other alternatives for us are in fact unstable. I want to do so by uh, talking about identity. And this is something that we taught our junior high students and our high school students up at camp. So you are hearing a message that our students have already heard. The alternatives in finding and solidifying our identity are in fact unstable. The alternatives compared to our identity that's found in Jesus Christ. And here's why. I'm going to have to teach you a little bit here. About, has anyone heard of a term expressive individualism? Yes, that's what I love to hear. One person has. Taylor in the back. Thanks, Taylor. <laughs> okay, so expressive individualism. This is the core of what it means. You're going to look inside of yourself, and there you are going to find what is most true about you. And then you are going to present that to the world, and the world needs to validate what you are expressing to the world. Okay? So you look inside yourself. This is what I see. And I see Luke is incredibly funny and handsome and is really good at soccer and sometimes beach volleyball. And then I go and express that to the world. And I want you to validate my internal findings. Now, I, I use examples, obviously, that are more silly. But we find in here kind of like the deepest parts about that we want other people to validate. Like the really serious parts about ourselves. Our, our sexuality for one, our race, like these really, it's really important. These are important conversations. So we, we do this, we look inside and then we express it to the world and we want other people to validate us. Now there's two, two problems I find with this. The first one is that we all have some kind of external framework that we get to look inside of ourselves to use this external framework. We're not just looking at ourselves with uh, these pure motives, so to say. We're all using some kind of framework that we're going to look inside with. And that framework is always changing. It's always changing. Okay, so the, the framework that we get, that we use to view ourselves is changing. And this is what I mean by this. I know inside of me, there's a mixture of a whole lot of things, right? Uh, Kendrick, I told the, the high school kids this, Kendrick Lamar, if, if you know it, if you have kids, you probably know who Kendrick is. If you're over 60, you have no idea who this is. Um, but Kendrick Lamar is a rapper and he's got a song called DNA. And he exemplifies this as a secular person, just beautifully what it looks like. He said he's got power, joy, pain, poison inside of himself, right? This is recognized externally to the Christian circles that we have this mixture of ourselves. So I find in myself anger. Do you know how I know this? It's because every single time I'm sitting at that flag intersection trying to go onto PV Drive, I am filled with anger because people do not know when to go. We know this. There's always a minivan, and if you drive a minivan, it might be you, that's sitting there waiting forever to go left. It's like you can shoot the gap, like you have time, but you're just sitting there. So I'm sitting there boiling inside of myself, 
like this anger is, is arising. It's not just that. There's other stop signs around here too. But it's like, they don't know where to go. You're like, people are idiots, okay? Figure it out, right? I have this anger, but we know culturally it's not appropriate for me to express that anger. So if I get out of my car and start yelling at the minivan, everyone else would be like, dude, you can't do that. Go back, go back into your car. Maybe you can honk at them, but that's it, right? You guys see what I'm saying? So we all have this framework. About 100 years ago, 150 years ago, it would have been more appropriate culturally to express anger. It would have been more appropriate to use anger to uh, help figure out or solve solutions to problems that arise. So we have this external framework that we're looking internally to figure out what we can express and what we need to suppress inside of ourselves. And that framework that we use is always changing. Now here's the problem. I think not just that it's changing, I think our culture by and large and every single culture before us really too has just an insane amount of hubris. We are just so confident that we have everything right. You hear this in the, in the kind of quick slogan of, oh, it's 2023, we should be over this by now, right? This idea of, of constant progressivism that we don't listen to other cultures and other peoples. And we always think that in our social location that we have always figured it out. There's this level of, of confidence in that external framework that I don't have as much confidence in because it's ever changing because everyone through every place really in history feels like they have that confidence and we can't all be right. So that's the problem. One is that this external framework is not as solid as we want to think. Here's the second part problem with it. When we are expressing to other people what we find internally, their frameworks are all different than ours. So let's say I, I look at you and I go, I'm super funny and you don't have my sense of humor, which my sense of humor is the best, the Lord confirmed, okay, that's in the scripture. But if you don't have my sense of humor, I'm going to you and saying, would you validate me that I am funny? And you're gonna say, Luke, you idiot. No, you're not funny at all. You're just giving me that, that deadpan face, that RBF as some would say. And so you look at me with that, that kind of seriousness, right? And that is an incredibly insecure place to live in. Incredibly insecure place to be. It's always changing, okay? Because then this puts the pressure on myself that either I get mad at you for not validating me and my how funny I am, or I need to change my humor to fit your needs, right? It's always changing. And again, we use this for, for deeper parts of ourselves. I'm using a silly example, but we use this for really serious aspects that are core to, to who we are and finding ourselves. So I find that it's just, it's unstable, it's insecure. Right, and, and we use this also in, in the things that we do. Oftentimes I feel like in this community, by and large the South Bay, really solidifies our identity often on our possessions or our accomplishments. This is who I am, I am the CEO. This is who I am, I drive a G-Wagon. This is who I am, I go on the nicest vacations. And it's always unstable because there's always someone who has a nicer car always someone who goes on better vacations, always someone who has a better position than you. And internally, we're always in that inner turmoil. Okay, do you guys, are you with me? You see how I'm saying, this is sand. 
It's always changing. It's not stable. We're always going to have this internal anxiety. Will someone validate me? And this is where the foundation of the rock, this is where we find better answers in Jesus Christ. Because what is most true about you for those who believe is what Jesus Christ says is true about you. And that is unchanging. Our external framework that we view ourselves in and our validation comes through Jesus Christ alone. Comes through the greatest preacher that ever preached. He says of you, you are loved. You don't need to try and make yourself a better person. You don't need to try and accomplish more things because he loves you just as you are. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you had anything figured out, Christ died for you and loved you. He says of you, you are my son, you are my daughter. You belong. Before you did anything, before you changed yourself to try to belong in some kind of group, you belong in Jesus. He says, you are made holy. You are made whole before you figure yourself out. Because of what Jesus has done, his holiness is now given to you. You in Jesus Christ have a purpose. It's not just to achieve. It's not just to accomplish. It's not just to find out who you are. But your purpose is to love God and enjoy him forever. Enjoying him, enjoying his mission and what he's doing in the world. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. So this is why this text is so important to us and to our students. You're dealing with this on, on the big scale. These emotions for our students feel a lot heavier. This is what they feel every day, what they're trying to figure out every day. That's why it's essential that we come around and support them as these kids that you see now. This is why as parents, as adults in this community, that we must be pouring ourselves to support them, giving ourselves to help them through this because it is much more pressing in their lives than in yours. So again, the greatest sermon that was ever taught from the greatest preacher that ever lived gives us two options. You can put your foundation in what is unchanging in the love and grace of Jesus Christ, or you can put your foundation in that which is changing, that which is inconsistent, that which is not stable. We had uh, up at camp just the, the really delight and pleasure of um, studying the book of Daniel. So the book of Daniel is, is kind of right in the middle of your Bible. And the whole the question that we were asking is, how do we live faithfully as Christians in a culture that is ever-changing? How do we live faithfully in exile, so to say, when we feel like Christians are the minority in a, a different kind of culture or climate? So that's the question that we were asking, and we were studying the book of Daniel to find those answers. And I think it's a beautiful book. And so we are trying to put into practice the words of Jesus right there. We're trying to help our students and help ourselves realize the firm foundation upon which we ought to build our lives. What is the truth of scripture that we can really ground ourselves in and operate out of? 
And so what we want to do is for you to hear from our students how this is exemplified in their lives. So in just a sec, I'm going to have all of our students who went to camp come up, and we're going to invite them just to share with you the ways that God had moved in their lives up at camp. So you can hear this, this scriptural practice of building our lives on the firm foundation from our kids. So if you went to camp, can I invite you now to come and stand up here with me? All, all students, counselors, everyone that went to camp. So put into perspective for you, uh, we had uh, 87 high school students come with us, 58 middle school, and how many wagon trainers? Like 38. 38 wagon trainers. So this isn't even everyone that came up with us, but this is those who can make it here today. Uh, so I'm going to hand it over to, to wonderful Kathy Plummer, uh, who is just going to help guide us in this time. Um, one of the things when we were up, were up at camp, um, we talked about my God. And one of the things that they said was, your relationship with God is your relationship with God. It's not your parents' relationship. It's not your grandma's relationship. It's not your friend's relationship. It's your relationship. And so our campers had a night where they said, my God taught me. And so I wanted to give you guys the opportunity to do the same thing. And I think what's beautiful is like the parents didn't come with us on the mountain. Like we were up there in this beautiful place. It's Hume is just so prayed over. Um, the things that I think you feel attacked by down here, you just don't feel up there. It's just the mountaintop, right? And so the challenge is we want to bring the mountaintop down into our home. So this is an awesome moment for you guys to like open up and share with the parents. Like, what did my God teach me on the mountain? So the mic is open. You can just pop on up here and don't be afraid because we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, come on up. My God taught me how to connect with him and how to know him and how to love him. Thank you, Claire. My God taught me that I cannot wash off my own sins. Brixton. My God taught me that I'm not alone in the people there, in the like instructors or whatever they're called there, they help me feel comforted by God and they taught me a lot about it. Awesome. I'm going to step forward so that these guys can see you guys. So come on, Magalie. My God taught me that I can always trust him no matter what. Awesome. This is open for all you guys too. <laughs> Even counselors. You guys are so brave. And um, my God taught me the beauty of teaching these girls um, and how great he is and how he loves everyone. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. 
My God taught me that fear is not a thing and only love is. Sunny. Hey there. My God taught me the only way to go into heaven is to worship him and celebrate what he has given us. Don't be afraid. My God taught me not to be on the fence. Oh, that's a good one. So one of the things that we talked about was you can always sit on the fence and wait for tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes. So there is really no fence. Your decision is like to go with the Lord and enjoy that um, abundant life or not. So anybody else? I think we have a few more. Oh, Quentin. All right. Let you wait. Quentin. God taught me that we are all missionaries. Yeah. Way to go, Quentin. My God taught me compassion. Yes. My God taught me how to be steadfast. Hey, you people, our next leading generation. Come on. Uh, This week, God taught me, uh, my God taught me patience, um, and he showed me that uh, he is at work all around us, softening hearts and opening minds. So he was one of our counselors. You needed patience with high school guys. (laughs) Uh, Let's do a couple more. Um, my God taught me that when you fear God, you can't fear anything else. That's good. Thank you, Annabelle. Um, my God taught me how to forgive myself. Wow. My God taught me that I'm never alone. My God taught me that he always has a plan. Oh, that's good. If you're feeling your heartbeat, that means you're supposed to come up like that. My God taught me to put hope in heaven because it's sustainable. So true. Anybody with a rapid heartbeat over here? (laughs) My God taught me that he never fails to redeem. It's awesome. My God taught me that you don't need to understand how he works to trust him completely. Just like how you don't understand exactly how your phone works, but you trust that thing completely. Ooh, she's going to be on my staff soon. (laughs) Izzy. My God taught me that he's always present in your life and he can and will interfere in your life. Ooh. Ava. My God taught me that his love is infinite. His love is infinite. Yes, it is. Anyone else? Oh, yeah. I see somebody pointing over here to someone. Like, give him a push. All right, there we go. Nice looking shirt as well. My God taught me community and faith. Very true. Um, Cooper, come on up. You got. You can come with your pals. Bricks, come. So he doesn't want to be alone. Cooper. Uh, my God taught me that I can talk to him if I feel like I can't talk to anybody else. That's awesome. He's one of our guys that's getting baptized today. That's pretty awesome. 
My God taught me how to believe in him. Awesome. Amen. Anyone over there? Wait, you've already gone. Anyone new? Anyone new? Anyone new? Ah, Weston. My God taught me that he's sovereign. Sovereign. That's a big word. Anyone else? You can do this. It's not scary. I get terrified in front of people. And look at me. Anyone? Anyone? Michelli. My God taught me that he that I can trust that he has my best interest at heart. It's beautiful. All right, Nixon, come on up. Nixon Hick has a lineage of folks here. Back when I was doing Young Life, when I was 28, his grandma and I worked next door to each other. My God told me that I'm never alone. Okay. Last chance, last call. My God taught me how to have faith in him. Uh, my God taught me not to float around and go with the flow, but rather pave my own path and do my own thing. Awesome. It's a good word. My God taught me to be uh, sovereign. That he is sovereign. You got that. Anyone else? No? Okay. Claire has one more. Claire had an awesome experience at camp. Okay. My God taught me that wagon train is the best. Nope. Okay. Oh. My God taught me that Meadow Ranch is the best. Okay. Anyone from Pondy? My God taught me that Kajabi is a big scam. Okay, now we've gone into like the other zone. Okay, I think we're done. So one, the last thing I'll end on is um, what the kids, one of the things that the kids learned is the thing that you worship and praise is what you will become. So I thought that was a good thing to ponder. Like, what do I want to look like? And then praise and worship that. There you go. That's beautiful. Thank you, Kathy, for leading us in that. One more round of applause for our kids. Awesome. I love it. Okay, so this is what I'm going to have you guys do. If you uh, are getting baptized today, can you stay up here with me? Everyone else, can you go back to your seats? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. All right. This is everyone. So what I'm going to do real quick is uh, we're just going to go down the line. I just want you to first uh, just say your name uh, and just, yeah, I guess that's it. Just introduce yourself real quick. Who are you? I'm Logan Hunter. Oh, we got one more. I'm Isaac Anderson. Isaac. Let's go. Charlie Wirtz. Nick Moulton. Logan Lumaco. Avery Gepner, Kay Olson, Sonny Burke, Gemma Finazzo, Natalie Mitchell, Amelia Cardo, Claire Burke, Mogali Foyun, Sailor Mendeville, Nixon Hicks, Cooper Lumaco, Weston Turk, Hayden Turk. Oh, I love it. The Turks at the end. Awesome. Okay, so. 
these are our wonderful people that made really big decisions up at camp to get baptized. Um, so I'm going to ask you all just a couple quick questions, and I want you to respond with, um, I have, or I do. It's going to feel like a wedding ceremony a little bit, but it's not, I promise you. Um, so all of you who are standing here with me, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And are you putting Jesus Christ as the center of your life, allowing him to guide and direct you for the rest of your lives? Awesome. Um, so I just want to invite you. I know you all didn't share, but if there's just a few of us um, that want to share why you're getting baptized today, we'd love to hear. Uh, so I've been going to Hume Lake for a couple of years now, and these past couple of years, you know, I've debated getting baptized, and now is the the final step I want to take in my faith to uh, start a new chapter and solidify it. Awesome, Charlie. Nick? I'm getting baptized because I've always had faith in him, but now I just want to commit to him. Thanks, Nick. Um, I have been going to Hume for two years now, and I realize that Christ is my Savior and that I want to take this next step, step in my journey. I love it. Anyone over here want to share? Yeah, Claire. So I'm getting baptized because I realize that God is my Savior and He lives in my heart forever. Awesome. Okay, anyone else? No? Okay. I gave her the look and she said no. Um, okay, so just a couple of logistical things. We're going to head down to the water here in a sec. Um, and we just want to make sure that the lifeguard tower over there has a direct line uh, of sight to us. Um, so we'd love for you all to, I know we're just going to want to hang out, but to come celebrate. The decision that these students have made is a really big decision. And one of the things that we believe about baptism is that we are welcoming them into uh, our Christian community our community of faith. So we'd love for you to come celebrate with us, take photos, maybe tackle them in the water, stuff like that, you know. So um, make sure there's a line of sight, uh, and then we'll head down. So I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we'll head to the water. So living God, um, yeah, Father, I'm just so amazed by you and all the ways that you are working. Um, you have, have called these students here to yourself uh, you have called them your own and made them your own. And you have worked inside of them that they can make this faith commitment now and show publicly uh, what is true of them, that they are found in you, Jesus Christ, uh, and that your death and resurrection life uh, is now true for them, and that they now are dead to sin and alive to God and Jesus. So, Father, we celebrate you um, and just all glory, honor, praise, power, glory to your name forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right, students. Yeah, and we're going to do a photo after with all of you up here, so don't run away. Okay, let's head down. Yeah, get your towels changed, do whatever you need to.